Matthew and chapter number 26. Matthew and chapter 26. As we stand in honor of God's word, just one more thing I'll mention. We do have the Family Fall Festival coming up this Saturday. That's another great way to get involved to help. These flyers are out there in the foyers. You can take those and blitz your neighborhood. And uh, so there's a lot going on for kids. It's a great way. It's kind of, in my mind, it's the kickoff to our fall evangelistic effort. As we've got friend day coming up and other things, but we have a lot of people that just come on. They see the bouncy houses and all the other stuff and they come in and man, it's a great time. Great time. Nearly gets out of control, but we have a great time. All right. <clears throat> okay. Let's go now to Matthew 26, Matthew 26, beginning in verse number 45. So Matthew 26 if you want to mark your Bibles in John 10, I'm going to, I'm going to refer to this. Now, I've got the verses in my notes, but I, I would be glad for you to see it firsthand too in John 10. So that'd be up to you if you want to mark that. I'm not going to have us all turn there, but you could certainly see it for yourself. Okay, Matthew 26, verse number 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands. Notice this. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, is betrayed into the hands of who? Sinners. We're going to see that. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then, it said, then he said this, Rise, let us be going they didn't flee. They went right to this mob that's on the way. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. In other words, apprehend him, arrest him, grab him, take him. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hell, master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, friend, did you hear that? Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. 
but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? And that thus it must be. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves? For to take me, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. This was not man in control here. This was God in control. Scripture was being fulfilled before their very eyes. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. We're going to keep reading here. It says in 57, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against him. False witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. None that what? None that would work. They were trying, but they couldn't find any. At last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace and the high priest answered and said unto him I adjure thee I put you under oath adjure I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ the son of God Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man, reference to himself, Christ, Son of God, Son of Man. Jesus elaborates. Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the chief priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. Um, not really. In fact, not at all. He hadn't spoken against God. In fact, he was careful not even to name the name of God. He said against the, at the right hand of the power. That's how the Jews would have done it. They referenced the name so much. So he was careful to do that. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. And here's a key question right here, and I want you to think about it. What think ye? What think ye? What's your verdict? What is your, I'm asking you right now, what is your verdict on him? What think ye? What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. Then 
Notice this. Can you imagine, I mean, a, a Supreme Court hearing or a court hearing for that matter taking place and, and now they, they say the individual is guilty and suddenly, I mean, just right there, they begin to spit in his face. This is indecent. These are, these are professionals, officials, and they spit in his face and buffeted him. They hit him with their fist and others smote him with the palms of their hands, slapped him, saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is he that smote thee? We'll stop our reading there. <clears throat> to be honest, in the course of reading there, I'm thinking, man, I, I bit off more than what we're going to be able to preach this morning. It's better to cut your sermon short in the office. <laughs> I guess I got excited. <laughs> this morning, I'd like for you to consider this, the Holy One in the hands of sinners. The Holy One in the hands of sinners. You may be seated. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards preached the famous sermon. In fact, he read it. History tells us he read it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. I don't know if you've ever had occasion to read some of the lines there, but they're powerful. Basically communicating this. We need to realize that God's holy, righteous, and we're wicked and sinful and we understand that given his holiness, we're in great danger. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. But really what we're reading here is this, God in the hands of angry sinners. It's really a reverse. In fact, there's a lot of reversal in this passage here. Should we get all the way through the message? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Here is holy God in the hands of angry. I'm going to say out of control. Sinners. Jesus knew that he was to be betrayed. This is, this is no surprise to Jesus. It did not catch him off guard in any wise. And he said that he would be betrayed into the hands of of sinners. And, and it's very unique and very significant that he said sinners because he's talking about the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day. I mean, of all, all the people that the people of the Jews would have said, these are our religious leaders. Jesus called them sinners. They all would have agreed that the Romans were sinners but they would not have agreed that the Pharisees were sinners. If you didn't believe, if you didn't believe that, if you don't believe that, just ask the Pharisees. They tell you, we're not sinners. But Jesus said he would be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Did you did you notice that? I tried to call some attention to it. How many verses in our text refers to either implicitly or explicitly how that he was in the hands of sinners? 
Judas, as he comes, and we're going to go back over this, but let me just point out this. As he comes and he kisses him, no doubt he would have taken him by the arms and, and kissed him there to the side and maybe even to the other side as, as the custom was, but he would have touched him. He would have handled him. He was Jesus in the hands of sinners. And, and he instructed them, apprehend him. And so thus the soldiers would have touched him, grabbed him as though he were going to flee. He was in the hands of sinners. As they took him away and led him to Caiaphas's home, we were privileged to be there at what is to believed to be the house or the palace of Caiaphas. And, and you can see the road even still that they would have most likely taken up there to the, to the place where they met uh, before Caiaphas, the high priest, but they would have handled him. He was, he was holy God in the hands of sinners. And as he stood there and, and he's on trial and, and they're accusing him and trying to find some accusation against him. And, and finally, they, pre, they proceed to say he's guilty of death. And then, then they begin to beat him with their fists. He's a holy God in the hands of sinners for you. <laughs> Typically, when there's a trial in our American way and and I realize there's injustice and, and things that happen within our own judicial systems that, that are not just and right. But, but typically there's the process of, of, of evaluating, is this person innocent or guilty? But here, there's not even a pretense. There's not even a due course here. There's not even an effort to see, is this man innocent or guilty? There's an all out effort to prove him to be guilty. There's so many violations here. If this were a formal court, uh, the Sanhedrin who is gathered here, the ruling governing body of the Jews, the 71 members that would have been there, they had proceedings, they had protocol. But if this, if this were an official meeting, which is, it's in the middle of the night, it's in the early morning hour, and so no doubt they wouldn't think of it that way. But friend, that's exactly what it was. But it was a kangaroo court. They were, they were trying to find somebody. So here we are to assess what took place as he is apprehended. And here we are to assess why he was con confirmed to be guilty, charged with guilt. But I want to submit to you here this morning, it's not for anything that he did. It was for who he was. And actually, what, what Caiaphas accused him of being by question, if that's the charges against him, he was guilty as charged. To say the name Jesus and guilty in the same sentence doesn't seem to go together. But if you're accusing him of being the Messiah and you're accusing him of being the Son of God, there's enough evidence to convict him. I know that's a unique way to think about it. But that's what they're coming down to. And so here he is, he's betrayed into the hands of these sinners. And, and so it's amazing to me that, I mean, all this has been taking place. It's just been calculated. Oh, the only thing that has happened that has accelerated is that, is that Jesus has made known at the Passover meal that he knew that one of them would betray him. In fact, he narrowed it down and identified Judas as the one. The other disciples didn't pick up on it, but Judas knew that Jesus knew. 
And Judas must now go against their original plan to wait till after the Passover. Now he must accelerate this. Now he must move quickly. And, and so he goes to the chief priests and the elders and they dispatch a, a, a group from the temple guard that was there. And, and along with them, John tells us that there's a band of soldiers, a cohort of soldier, soldiers, uh, Roman soldiers. This would have been a regiment, uh, a group, a regiment, part of a, of a larger group. Uh, a legion was 6,000. A, a regiment of these soldiers would have been maybe 600. So I'm, I'm not saying this morning there were 600 soldiers that came there to arrest him, but there was a band, as, as it's called, and there was a multitude. There was a multitude multitude that came there. 50, maybe. 100, maybe. Up to 200, I wouldn't be surprised. A multitude is what it says. A multitude to arrest one man. But here was one man ready to give his life for the multitude. They come, they're making their way up out of the holy city and crossing the Kidron Valley and they're carrying lanterns and torches and, and no doubt you could hear them coming, but, but Jesus didn't have to hear them because he knew. They were coming and he, he let his disciples sleep in that garden and he woke them up and said, Arise, it's time, the hour is at hand. And these soldiers made their, up, their way up rather and they had swords and they had staves. A stave is a club. Evidently, they thought and Judas thought that there would be some kind of resistance given or maybe even a flight, maybe even that they would flee. And so, the, no, they had this large band of people because they thought that he's going to try to resist. And, 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 well, I don't know all that was going through Judas's mind as he thought about how many people we're going to need here. And maybe even there was some kind of a dialogue between him and the chief priest to say, how many think we need to dispatch? And maybe, maybe Judas said, well, there's James and John there, and they wanted to call fire down from heaven on somebody. <laughs> and there's Peter there, and I know he's going to do something. So we better be ready and maybe they're all going to flee. Maybe Jesus is going to flee. So at least we can spread out here on the Mount of Olives and try to capture him. But listen, friend, when Judas got there and those Roman soldiers got there, they didn't find a man who was ready to flee. They found a man who was ready to die. In fact, as they arrived on the scene, Jesus speaks up first and says, whom seek ye? Whom seek ye? And the moment that, that they said Jesus of Nazareth, John tells us that Jesus said, I am he. And the moment that he said, I am he, the Bible says that they went backwards and fell down. Because the great I am stood in their midst and all he had to say was, I am. And listen, I am is hearkening all the way back through the book of Exodus as Jehovah God appeared to Moses and said, I'm going to deliver my people. Now it's Jehovah in the garden saying, I am. And they couldn't even stand up. I'm just wondering what rushed through the minds of some of those soldiers at that point. Maybe we need more. Somebody sent for re reinforcements. I don't know, but I mean, they all fell down flat, friend. So much so that he had to ask him a second time, who are you looking for? Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. And, and so all this is taking place. I'm just trying to establish some things here this morning. Listen, it is not sinful man that's in control, even though it seems like it, friend. It's not sinful man that's in control. There's a holy God that was there and he was firmly in control. Amen. 
Even as Judas came and he betrayed him and gave him that symbolic reverence that, uh, that a, a student would give to a, a teacher, he would kiss him out of honor, out of respect, but here it was out of dishonor. Betrayed him because it was dark. Betrayed him because those Romans wouldn't know which one Jesus was. There was not some holy glow about him, friend. Listen, he, yes, he was 100% God, but he also was 100% man. They didn't know who he was, but Judas knew who he was. And he kissed him with that kiss of betrayal. It's amazing to me that Jesus said, friend. By the way, Jesus was the best friend Judas ever had. He's the best friend you'll ever have, friend. And he cares about you and he cared about Judas. He loved Judas and he loves you. He said, friend, what seekest thou? What, what are you doing here? And he obviously knew what he was doing. And with that betrayal, one of those Roman soldiers went to take Jesus. And about that same time, that, young, that man named Peter, the one who said, I'm willing to die with you, Jesus. He very quickly drew his sword. Now, come on. We got to give it to Peter right here. Because, I mean, he went to whacking. He, went, he was a fisherman. He was not a swordsman, right? He caught plenty of fish. No doubt he'd flayed a bunch, but he'd never fought like this before. And he drew out that sword and said, Phew. what was he doing? He was defending his Lord. He said, I'm willing to die for you. Now think about it. I think Peter knew I'm drawing this sword and I'm going down. There's these Roman soldiers and a bunch of them. And other temple guard, I, listen, I really think, I've kind of given Peter a hard time here, but now I'm saying, man, go, well, I can't say go, Peter, because Jesus said stop. But he's whacking away and, and he's trying to hit that guy's head and the guy saw it coming and he ducked and got his ear. Or he's just a really bad shot. I don't know, one of the two. John says, Matthew didn't say who it was. Mark doesn't say who it was. Luke doesn't say who it was. John said it was Peter. But, but Luke also says, the other disciples said, Lord, shall we draw our swords? They wanted it on the action too, because they said, we'll die with him. I'm just saying that's who it was. And then John tells us, I'm kind of bringing all this in together here, but John tells us that Jesus bent down evidently and picked up the man's ear and put it back on. His right ear he even tells us which ear it was. I wonder if that soldier thought, whoa, never had that happen before. I don't know if he'd ever lost an ear or not, but I'm sure, no, I don't know. But he'd never seen anybody put an ear back on. What love, what tender compassion that the one who's about to die at the hands of the Roman soldiers takes the time to put Malchus's ear back on him. And then tells, tells Peter, put your sword up. We're not taking the kingdom by force, which by the way is a good, a good reminder to all of us. We don't take the kingdom by force. We don't lead crusades and take over lands. No, we, we preach the gospel and we see people saved. And, and so Jesus says, listen, you need to put your sword up. Don't you know, Peter, if you allow me to paraphrase here, don't you know that I could just pray one short prayer to the Father and he would send, what is it, 12 legions of angels? 12 legions, a legion is 6,000. That'd be 72,000 angels. I think that'll do. 72,000 angelic beings against Roman soldiers. They're done in one instant. In fact, all he had to do is just say, I am one more time. That probably would have done it. You with me? 
put away thy sword. And, and so then they, they take Jesus and, and, and uh, the disciples flee. Peter follows, he gets to the house of Caiaphas and, and he's there and he's probably in the courtyard. He's not, he certainly wouldn't have been invited to come into their proceedings. But as he's there, as Jesus is, is there before Caiaphas, Caiaphas is the high priest. Annas, his father-in-law, was the actual high priest, but Caiaphas was the functioning high priest. And then you have the Sanhedrin, this basically Supreme Court of their day. And they're trying their best to find somebody that can make some kind of accusation against him so that they could have him killed. Now, you need to understand some background here that they've wanted to kill him several times. They wanted to kill him several times. John chapter five tells us that they wanted to stone him because not only had he broken the, not only had he broken the Sabbath day, but claiming to be the son of God, the Bible says, John 5 and verse 20 something, 27, I believe it is right in there. He being a man maketh himself God. Okay, John 10, look, look at it. If you happen to be there, that's great. I'll find my place in my notes and then we'll see how much of the sermon we're going to preach today. And <clears throat> 518 was John. I want you to see this now. So now we're in the house of Caiaphas. John, by the way, Jesus said, uh, you know, I was with you every day. If you wanted to take me, you could have taken me before you got here. So what, 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 what's all the hurry now? You know, I think that's another indication. Jesus is firmly in control right here. He's saying, you know, you could have taken me before now. Am I, am I a robber? Am I a thief? He's going to be crucified between two. But by the way, that, they probably just weren't your ordinary burglars. They most likely were insurrectionists that were going against Rome. Barabbas. Barabbas himself, we'll, we'll get to Barabbas sometime. Barabbas himself was a revolutionary leader, a rebel. And so Jesus is saying, am I a rebel? Which, which, hang on now, please stay with me just a second. Which the Jews understand we can't kill him, especially here in this holy time, without the support of Rome. So if we're going to get the support of Rome, somehow we have to prove that he's trying to undermine the Roman authorities. Which, which would explain why they dispatched Roman soldiers, because probably, I'm just speculating right here, if you allow me just a second, probably the chief priests have gone to the Roman officials saying, listen, he's claiming to be the Messiah. And if he's claiming to be the Messiah, that could cause a lot of unrest right now during the Passover time. So Rome is saying, okay, we'll, we'll tend to this. Okay, now I want you to see the mindset of the Jews. Okay, you're in John 10, maybe. The Jews, it says in verse 31, he says, I and my father are one. Verse 30. I and my father are one. What does that mean? Just what you think it means. I and my father are one. There's only one God. Three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. One God. We read this morning in Sunday school that we're to go and make disciples. We're going to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's indicating the Trinity. Three in one. I and my Father are one. One. So here Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Look, look, how, the, look how the Jews, you need to see this. It'll make a lot more sense out of Matthew 26. Everybody still with me? 
He says, it says this, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? Well, Jesus answered them in verse 32, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? What, you know what he's asking? What have I done that has prompted you to want to stone me? The Jewish form of execution. Why do you, what have I done that has prompted you to want to stone me? Look at the Jews' answer in verse number 33. The Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we stone thee not, but for what? Blasphemy. Okay, what are they referring to as blasphemy? Look at the rest of the verse. And because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. How, oh, wait, 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 wait. How did he, being a man, make himself God? He said, I and my father are one. He's claiming God is his father. That is a claim to being the son of God. The son of God. Now, in Jewish usage, the son of, sometimes we use it this way, that's the son of Chris Raphael, Daniel. Daniel is the son of Chris Raphael. Well, that, that's one way to use it. But the Jews understood it this way. Son of means not inferior, but, but equal. Equality. And thus, to claim to be the son of God in the way that Jesus used it, is their understanding that Jesus is claiming to be God. Okay, now go back to Matthew 26. I think it's very important for us to understand that because that's why Caiaphas is going to push right here. That's why he's going to push. Because listen, they were not seeking to put to death a political figure. Now, the Jewish mentality about Messiah is that he's a political leader that's going to come in here and deliver us from Rome. But listen, that wasn't the extent of it. So way back in John 5 and John 10, they've wanted to kill him. This is after miracles that he performed. But now here in Matthew 26, they've tried to get all these false witnesses. They finally get to some two dudes. Okay, that's not the right term. That Men. False witnesses, that's the text. These two false witnesses, and they said this. This fellow, we heard him say this. I'll destroy this temple and build it in three days. Um, <clears throat> he said that back in John 2. That was three years ago. So why are you just dealing with that now? Excuse me. Does that make sense? Uh, that, that was a long time ago. Is that the best you got? I'll destroy this temple, which to speak against the temple was a huge offense in their time. I'll destroy this temple. Now, here's what they did. They twisted Jesus' words. He was talking about his body, his temple, that destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise again. That's what he's talking about. They took his words and twisted them to say, see, he's leading an insurrection. And he's coming at the temple first. Okay, now watch this. Caiaphas knew that wasn't good enough. He knew it. He knew it, he knew it, he knew it. He knew that that would not hold up with the Romans. So he had to go a little bit further. So the Bible says this. He's sitting there in judgment and he stood up. Now when's the last time you've seen somebody, some judge presiding in court who stood up? You don't see that. 
You, you, I mean, you don't see a judge in, in the hearing. You, if, I mean, am, am I right? Is that out of, come on. You, what, you don't see a judge stand up and say something. No, they, they keep seated. But right here, Caiaphas has lost it. And he knows he's losing his case. And he stands up and he says, point blank to Jesus, I adjure thee. I want you to go under oath saying, tell us, are you the Christ? Why are you being so quiet? You know what they're used to? What we're used to when you watch court TV. If, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, I don't. But I'm just simply saying you watch Judge Judy, Judge Wapner, Judge whoever. I don't even know who's out there now, but... Judge, so, I mean, they're all pleading their case, how innocent they are, why they did that. Rah! Am I right? Here's what Jesus said. Nothing. Wasn't even worth addressing. Caiaphas says, how can you stand there in silence? He was like a lamb going to the slaughter. How can you stand there in silence? I adjure thee by the living God. I adjure thee by you. I adjure thee by who you are is what we would understand. I adjure thee by the living God. Tell us plainly, art thou the Christ, the Son of God? Jesus spoke. He did not speak because he was under oath. He spoke because he was on mission. And he said, thou sayest it. You put it that way. Okay, now wait a minute. Jesus is very careful right here. He says, thou hast said, but let me clarify. Because what you think about the Messiah is not what the Old Testament thinks about the Messiah. Because the Old Testament talks about the Messiah and he quotes two verses. Psalm 110 and verse one. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou here at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. He quoted from Daniel chapter seven, verse 13 and on into 14 would be the idea, but 13, 7, 13, the son of man coming in power and great glory. You know what, you know what Jesus is saying right there? I am the Messiah. He said it very plainly. I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, and yes, I am the Son of God, and I'm the Son of Man, and I'm coming again. Now, here he is, about to be crucified by them. Can I tell you something? There was a role reversal that was actually going on right here. Here they are setting up as his judge, but very soon he will be their judge. Here he was, Caiaphas, the high priest, but Jesus is saying, I'm coming for your job. Because he, Jesus, would be the ultimate and final high priest. Here they were, priests and responsible for the priesthood that's offering up all these lambs at the Passover. But there's a reversal. The Lamb of God was in their midst about to die for their sin, dear friend. Here they were looking for their Messiah. Here he was, the Messiah in their midst. Here they were so concerned about not to upset Rome and the empire and the throne. And here he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's about to take over. He says, I am the Messiah. Yep. 
And the end, I am the son of God. And Caiaphas tore his clothes, ripped his robes and said, what need we any further witnesses? You hear himself, the blasphemy, which we've already said is not blasphemy. And, and he accuses him of that. And then he asked them, what think ye? Speak. What is your verdict? And every one of them, as far as what Matthew's indicating here, says he's guilty of death. And then they begin to beat him. Smack him around and hit him with their fists and spit upon his face. Prophesy thy, thou Christ, mocking him. Holy God, in the hands of sinful man. And they sealed their eternity by passing a wrong verdict on who Jesus was. In that moment, when there was silence, I adjure thee by the living God, tell us whether thou art the Christ, the Son of God. In that silence, the whole fate of humanity hung in the balance. What if he had said, I'm not? He would have walked away a free man. But he cannot deny who he is. And thus he said, Thou hast said. And he's about to be crucified. Let me ask you. What do you say of him? Because really it's not him who's on trial. It's you. We're all guilty. We're all sinners. We betray him. We fail him. We disregard, sometimes twist his words to our own advantage. We doubt him. Come on now. We doubt him. We have little to do with him. You know why? Because submitting to who he really is violates the rules of your kingdom. It means you're losing control. But I'm glad to tell you today, he came to die for you. He loved those men, even while they were beating him. He loved Peter, even while he was denying him. He loved Judas, though he betrayed him. He loves you, though you've sinned against him. They betrayed him, they arrested him, they beat him because they did not accept who he was. It was not for what he did. How you respond to Jesus depends on who you believe him to be. Those who do believe he is the Christ, those who do believe he is the Messiah, those who do believe he is the Son of God, those who do believe he is the Son of Man, gladly submit to his authority and sing praise to him and bow before him in worship and glad to sing to him. In fact, they're be, they've been known to break out in song. 
thinking about the empty tomb. They've been known to shout an amen every now and then. They've been known to even raise a hand and say, man, glory to God. They've been known to go out and knock doors. They've been known to try to work with kids. They've been known to take aim as adults. They've been known to drive buses. They've been known to be missionaries. They've been known to go all this world because he is who he said he was. And he is the Messiah and he is the son of God. He came to save you and he'll save you today if you'll trust him. Let's stand together here this morning. What think ye? What's your verdict? You're a sinner. You've broken his commandments. He still loves you. I want to ask, would you ask his forgiveness? He died as your substitute. He did not die as a revolutionary leader. He did not die as a political figure. He did not die as a teacher. He died God, very God, dying in your place. I want to exhort you this morning. If you don't have 100% assurance that, that he is your savior, you need to trust him today. Thank God he, he would save some of those Pharisees and Sadducees, I think about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and others that most likely were not in this meeting, of course, but others that would come later. And he, he would save one that was even killing a bunch of Christians named Saul. He said, I don't know if God can save me and forgive me. He saved a Pharisee named Saul. He'll do the same for you. But Saul had to acknowledge he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, and I want him to be my Savior. Father, this morning, thank you for what you've done through your Son to save lost sinners. Lord, I thank you that you made very plain and clear who you were. There's still debate, there's still question. The Jews in particular still reject you as their Messiah. They believe you to be just like any other who had come before. But Lord, we know from your word that you're like none other. God, I pray that you'd help those that may be in the midst of making a decision about their eternity and where they're going to spend eternity. I pray, dear God, that you'd help them to come to the right conclusion based on your very words, your own words, that you are indeed the Messiah and you are indeed the Son of God. I pray that you'd help them to trust you. And for those that already have, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live each day in honor to you under your authority, fulfilling your will for our lives, dear God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.